The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Well, it's been a long journey. Four and a half years, or just over four and a half years ago, we began this journey through Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts. Some of it seemed longer than others, and I'm thinking particularly of weeks spent preaching to laptop screens and phones and microphones, wondering whether there was anyone actually out there listening. The historical timeline of these two books is 70 years, just about, starting with the visit of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. While Zechariah was serving in the holy place within the temple, The altar of incense sat or stood just before the the veil which uh, closed off the way into the Holy of Holies. And as Zechariah approached the altar of incense, the angel Gabriel appeared at the right hand of the altar. And Gabriel announced that Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, who Zechariah described as being well along in years, would give birth to a son. They were to name him John, and John would herald He would prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. Soon after that, Gabriel had another assignment and he would appear to a young Jewish girl this time in an otherwise insignificant village. This time Gabriel announced that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the the power of the Most High would overshadow her and she will conceive and give birth to a son, God's son. And you are to call his name Jesus, And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And so the story begins. On the 7th of January, 2018, I opened the series with a message entitled, in fact I said this was my prayer for us as we journeyed through Luke's Gospel, or through Luke's writings, I prayed that we would learn, love and live the story. Luke's Gospel and his book of Acts provide, were written to provide an orderly account for one Theophilus. It's uncertain whether Theophilus was, a, was the name of a particular person or a more generic term. The, the word is Greek and it simply means God lover. While it certainly seems that Luke is writing to an individual and I personally believe that he is, In God's grace, wisdom and internal purposes, these two books are written to and for all who love God. You and me included. And Jesus said the greatest commandment can be summarized, all the commandments can be summarized in just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Two commands that we cannot separate. The Apostle John would later write in 1 John 4, 19 and 21, he says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so we must not simply learn the story and not just love the story, 
but the story is also to be lived. As John wrote a little earlier in that same letter, he says, Dear children, do not, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, love is not just a nice word. It's not just a good feeling. Love is an action. It's a decision. It's a choice. So as I look back over the last four and a half years, and a number of thoughts sit with me and that I believe that I, uh, God wants me to leave with you today. From the, beginning of the, from the beginning of the story to the end, the story is the work of the Holy Spirit. With the birth of, while the birth of John the Baptist is usually significant, the focus of the opening of the story is when the work of the Holy Spirit, when, when Gabriel said that the Holy Spirit would come upon this apparently insignificant young woman. And she would become, she would bear, she would give birth to the Son of God. He would be the saviour of the world, the king of kings, coming to bring in his kingdom to re-establish his rule in the hearts and lives of men. Taking a gospel, his kingdom, from a manger in a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem and on to the ends of the earth. In the second book, in Acts, while the story opens with Jesus commissioning his followers and then ascending into heaven, the story also finds its focus in a moment when the Holy Spirit comes. Not this time on an insignificant young woman in an insignificant town, but upon a relatively insignificant group of men and women gathered in a room. And they don't give birth to the Son of God, they give birth to the body of Christ. In that moment, the church is born as the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they will take the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. And, and so the story continues, and the gospel of the kingdom continues to spread. And, and last week, Michael brought us to the end of Luke's writings, to the verses that Tertia referred to a moment ago. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his rented in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. However, while, Paul, while, while Luke sets out to write an orderly account, it was never going to be, it could never possibly be a comprehensive account. And so when I think about some of the people we've met on this journey, I find myself wondering, what was, going, what was the ongoing impact in their lives of their participation in this journey? What did they do with this life-changing message? You see, I wonder, what happened to the shepherds? The shepherd boys and, who were out there looking after their sheep in the fields when suddenly there's this choir of angels declaring that this night in a stable nearby, you're going to find the saviour of the world. And when that was all over, did they simply go back to the fields, unchanged, never to speak of it again? Or, or, or what about, I wonder about the Magi. They travelled from the Far East. 
And as they came, they, they worshipped the one, they came deliberately to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. Did they worship him and then go away unchanged? Never to speak of it again, you know, what happens in Bethlehem stays in Bethlehem? Was that kind of the end of the story for them? Well, skipping through the story, I think of the Roman centurion in, in, in Luke 7, whose servant is healed. Or later in the same chapter, the widow from Nain, whose son is raised to life. What about the man in Luke 8 who is possessed by demons? The demons who identified themselves as legion. We know he was delivered. We know he was set free. We know that he wanted to go as part of Jesus' team. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to the Decapolis, to the, to the ten towns in the region in which you've lived all your life. And I want, to tell, want you to tell them what I've done for you. And so I wonder, what happened to him? Why don't we hear more of his story? And I wonder what happened to all the people that he told. You know, as we flick forward, if we go forward to the story of Paul, after Paul uh, has this Damascus Road experience and before he becomes sort of the main character in, in the Acts of the Apostles, in that intervening period we know that Paul went and taught, or it seems to be that Paul went and preached in the same region where the demonic had gone to tell what Jesus had done for him. And so I find myself wondering, did, did Paul go and preach to people who had come to place their faith in Jesus because of what the demonic had taught, the former demonic? And I wonder. And I wonder about the synagogue leader, Jairus, whose daughter Jesus raised to life as chapter 8 finishes. Surely these people just didn't walk away from these experiences, these encounters, unchanged. Surely those experiences would be shared, talked about. And then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends the 12 on a mission. And then in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10, he sends 72 out on mission. And when the 72 returned, Luke tells us that they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We know a bit more about what happened to the 12, but what happened to the rest of the 72? Who were they? What did they do after this mission? Did they go on another mission trip? And what about the people they encountered on that mission trip, the, the, the people of peace whose homes they stayed in, where they went healing the sick and, and, and casting out demons and telling them that the kingdom of God has come near to you? What happened to all of those people? Skipping forward through the gospel narrative, I, I think of the crowd who stood there watching as the saviour of the world was nailed to a cross. And I think particularly of one Roman centurion who is standing near the foot of the cross and he hears Jesus pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this Roman centurion declares, Surely this was a righteous man. There was something profound in his heart in, in that moment. Did he just walk away from that moment and say, well, that was interesting? As my mind continues to flick through the story and on into Acts, I think of the lame man 
You know, the one who's sitting down begging is Peter and James. Uh, sorry, Peter and John come looking and, and they looked. He looks to Peter and John for money and they hear the, he hears those life-changing words, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Is that where the story ends with him? Then I begin to think more about the twelve and I think of the people we become quite familiar with in the, in the book of Luke, which is Andrew, who actually brought Simon Peter to Jesus in the first place. I think of Matthew, the tax collector, who invited all his friends to this wonderful party so they might meet Jesus. And I think of Thomas, who gets such a bad rap as being the doubter, but he's also the one that, when it looks like Jesus is going to Jerusalem where he might die, and Thomas says, let's go with him that we might die with him. You know, they don't get mentioned after the 13th verse of the first chapter of the book of Acts. Now we do know from other uh, references of some of the things that happened. So for example, uh, Thomas, we understand, went down into India and took the gospel into India. Of course, we had Philip in Acts 8, who was preaching in Samaria. When suddenly he's whisked away and finally on the road heading down towards Gaza. And on that road he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who, who works in the royal household in Ethiopia. And they have this encounter and the Ethiopian eunuch is baptised and then the Ethiopian eunuch carries on his way and suddenly Philip is transported immediately somewhere else and carries on preaching the gospel and we're told shortly after that he finishes uh, the, the rest of the story that Luke tells us is he's preaching in Caesarea. But that's not where the story ends. Let alone for the Ethiopian eunuch. Because the Ethiopian Orthodox Church credits its history to this Ethiopian eunuch having brought the gospel message back to Ethiopia. And then Paul tells the story and, 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 and he quickly dominates as Luke reports on Paul's missionary endeavours. Luke's, as Mike mentioned earlier, Luke's um, telling of Paul's story creates this wonderful context for us to understand so much of the New Testament and the letters that Paul would write. But what about the people that Paul trained and served alongside? I think of him serving alongside, in fact Barnabas was the one who brought Paul into the story. The son of encouragement who had sold all his property and, and, and given the money to the church. And even when Paul and Barnabas have this massive falling out and Paul goes off on his missionary journey and Barnabas doesn't take Mark and go home and sit down and mope. They go on and they're preaching the gospel in other places but we don't hear much of that story. And then we have the likes of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos who we met in, the, in, in Corinth and Ephesus and the input that Paul had into their lives. But what about the rest of their story? And even Paul himself, Luke doesn't finish his story. We have some hint that Paul did eventually make it to Spain and he preached the gospel before returning to Rome where he was martyred. 
And so as Michael shared last week, Luke finishes his story with Paul in Rome preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and teaching all about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And as Michael said last week, he said this isn't just the, this isn't the end of the story because he said the good news is now going global. And while we can track Paul's timeline, thanks Mike for having had that, it keeps falling off during the week, but it, 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 I was putting it up each Sunday, but I, I've cleared the blue tack off this week. But that timeline, you can follow a timeline through Paul's life. But you cannot put the gospel on a timeline. The gospel is not limited to a timeline. As we've just seen in, in those, those people that I've thought about and we've talked about over the last four and a half years, and, and as I've wondered about their story, all the way along there is this offshoot of the gospel, or at least the offshoot of the potential for the gospel to take root in another direction. So many people in so many ways. In, in Luke 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, What is the kingdom of God like? He says, What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air came and perched in its branches. But the mustard seed isn't so much just a tree, because it has, the mustard seed is in a seed pod, sort of like a pea, but the, this particular one that I was reading about has one to three seeds in every pod, and, and of course the pod would fall to the ground, and the seed would sow, and I remember talking to Esme a while back about the raspberries that I'd planted in my garden. And she says, yeah, they kind of get a bit carried away. Well, they did. What's that? Yeah. Well, I've pulled mine out because they just, the, 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 the seed, the, the raspberry would drop into the garden and there'd be another growth and another growth. And the, and the mustard tree was like that. It would grow and it would have all these seed pods and they would drop to the ground and another tree would grow and another tree and another... And so we have this messy multiplication, not just this nice, beautiful, tall kauri or a beautiful cedar of Lebanon, but you have this massive thicket. But something I was reading was commenting that therefore the birds of the air could come and hide in its branches and avoid the birds of prey that would be flying overhead. It would be a place where people could find safety and respite and peace. And so the spread of the kingdom is not just this timeline. The Gospels, Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts don't summarise the kingdom or, or don't paint an entire picture of the kingdom. They, they, they pick a line through the kingdom and the, the kingdom becomes messy all around that. And it grows and it multiplies and people come and find peace and safety within the kingdom. And you know, the more we seek to control it, the more we limit its growth. The more we try to limit the kingdom of God, the more we limit its growth. The church is never meant to be an organisation. It's an organism. It's a living, vibrant thing. It's the body of Christ. It's given birth. It's made alive by the Holy Spirit within Growing, spreading, becoming a place of safety and rest for all who would come. We are called and we are sent to learn 
to love and to continue to live out the story. It cannot be, this, the story of the kingdom of God cannot be contained within a building. And I look here this morning and my heart breaks as I think back over four and a half years of the people who have come and gone. And, and it's easy to look and go, we're shrinking, but we're growing. I talked a little while back about a guy, Mike Porteous, who's opening some doors. I was involved in a Zoom call on Friday, on Thursday, with a guy, Anthony, who's partly involved at Grace City Church, but he's also involved heavily in Zambia. And so we were part of this call, listening to all of the work that's happening in Zambia and how through the connection that I had with Mike and that Mike now has with Anthony, looking to see Discovery Bible Study rolling out in Zambia, and it's like, from the chapel? week before that, I, you know, I've got the Follow Jesus website and um, Gensuke Yesu. And we have about 100 people a day on both of those websites and you actually wonder what's really happening. And then two weeks ago, I got an email from a lady who was, had found the website and she was saying, can I have a Bible? I want to get back on track with God. And it's not really cool. So I went onto Amazon and got a Bible delivered to her. I did it that way because she lives just out of Orlando in Florida. It's like, so a lady in, just out of Orlando in Florida is coming back on track with her relationship with God because of a website that we created after Keith and Joy and Grant and I were sitting outside the Parkhouse Cafe in Fenuapai, praying for Fenuapai. See, the kingdom of God doesn't follow a line. The kingdom of God doesn't follow our plans. The kingdom of God, what is it? So it is with those who are born of the Spirit, like the, the wind blows where it will. The kingdom of God will go and the kingdom of God will grow because it is the nature of the kingdom of God. And so it cannot be about a Sunday gathering. When Jesus stood in the synagogue in Nazareth, he was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You see, it doesn't stop at proclaiming good news. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The gatherings may be at the heart of who we are as a local church, but the story cannot and will not stop here. This is only the beginning. Jesus has commanded, Go. When you take it in context, that word go can be being, uh, understood as as you go. Because, you know, you can't leave this place this morning without going. Otherwise, you're simply staying. And so as you go, make disciples. Not go and make disciples as if it's a, a line. It's just as you go, wherever you go, whenever you go. Be listening for what God is saying. Be looking for what God is doing and how you can join him in that. Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Not just to preach the word, not just to tell the story, but to learn the story and, and, and to love the story and to live the story out. Whatever that looks like. 
You know, the thing about Discovery Bible Study is most of our discipleship programs that I've seen over my 30-plus years in pastoral ministry, they're like a six- or 12-week course. We disciple people in a six- or a 12-week course. That's not discipleship. You spoke about fear. You spoke about contentment, being happy, learning in those circumstances to be content, to be happy. We're all learning, continuing to grow and to learn. Paul didn't get to the point, I've learnt to be content at the beginning of his journey. He says, I have learnt to be content. It is an ongoing journey and it comes as we read the word, ask God to speak to us through the word, and then we say, God, how do I live this word? That's what I love about Discovery Bible Study. It's not about learning the word and loving the word. We do that in Bible studies all the time. But it's about living the word. What will I do with what God is saying to me? How will it make a difference in me and in my world? Mike and I at Eldership on Monday night, we were talking about the story. And Some of you will know Mark Jackson, who was the pastor at Massey Community Church a few years back. He's got a younger brother, Paul, who used to be the pastor at Upper Hutt Christian Fellowship. Now, I don't remember a lot of sermons from past, little snippets, but I remember a sermon that Paul delivered at a men's fellowship, the Upper Hutt Christian Fellowship, half a lifetime ago. So about 30 years ago, I was about the age that my son-in-law is now, Andy. And he was talking about, this Paul was talking about, um, he was talking about the Apostle Paul, and he said, what do you do with someone like Paul? The word Mike and I came up with was relentless. Paul was relentless. So the authority said to Paul, you can't preach the gospel. He says, I must preach the gospel. That's what I'm called to do. Well, if you preach the gospel, we're going to, we're going to beat you. We're going to stip, uh, stone you. We're going to whip you. And Paul says, yes, I get to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And then the authorities say, well, if you do that, we're going to throw you in prison. And he said, yes, I get to write some letters. And he said, well, if you do that, we're going to put you to death. And he said, yes, I get to go home. It's like you can't stop someone whose eyes are on Jesus. And so I'm reminded, and I finished this morning with these, these words. Let me pull it up here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, the writer of Hebrews has been writing about all the great men and women of the faith. And then he talks about, or the writer talks about some who aren't named. And I think of a lot of the people I've referred to this morning, the wise men and the shepherds and, and others who have become messengers, uh, servants of the gospel, proclaimers of the truth. And I think they're in that great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us be relentless, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May we be inspired. May we be encouraged that in big ways and small ways 
See, not those shepherd boys, I don't think they all went to become Paul's, but I'm sure in their own way they shared and spread the gospel. May God's spirit rest upon us and may we persevere, may we be relentless in being who we are and allowing God to use who we are to spread his gospel, not just preaching the words, but living it out, a a holistic lifestyle of loving God and loving others. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.